You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. If we get Jesus to do this, then we can really get him. And he's like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to get you. So that's what my plan is today. You are now here. The doors are locked. You are mine. Okay, here we go. What did he do? What did he do that made these guys so upset? He healed someone. Like if that happened this morning, someone came up here for prayer and we laid hands on them and prayed for them and, and suddenly they, their, their back straightened up or their leg grew or I mean, what a, wouldn't you celebrate? Wouldn't you be like, oh my gosh, the power of God, that is incredible. Like this is amazing. That's not what these guys do. They get mad. They get mad because Jesus healed the guy on the Sabbath. And in their way of understanding the Sabbath, they think that that's against God's will, that, 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 that's, that constitutes work, and you don't work on the Sabbath. And they had all these extra laws that they created to, you know, what's work and what's not work. And Jesus broke their, he didn't break the law, he broke their man-made interpretation of the law. And that made them really mad. But before they could get their kind of two cents in, Jesus tells them a story. He tells them a parable. Now, that may seem weird to us because when we want to teach someone, we're, our culture is much more didactic. We're much more um, kind of like lecture, like kind of what I'm doing here. Uh, that's kind of how a lot of us went to school and how we learn. The Middle Eastern culture is different. Um, a lot of cultures in the world are different than that. In fact, Ken Bailey, who he's a, he's a scholar, he's a religious scholar that spends his whole life studying Middle Eastern culture and communication and that stuff. He wrote a book. You should write this down. You should read this book. It's a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Because Jesus was not a white American, right? He was a Middle Eastern Jew. And so a lot of times we read the Bible and we read it through our eyes, through our lens, but we really should be reading the Bible through Middle Eastern eyes to really understand a lot of the things that Jesus said and did. And so here's what Ken Bailey says. I think this is funny. Actually, it's not funny. I think it's pretty cool. He says, Jesus was a metaphorical theologian. I like that phrase. He's a metaphorical theologian. That is, his primary method of creating meaning was through metaphor, simile, parable, and dramatic action rather than through logic and reasoning. He created meaning like a dramatist and a poet rather than like a philosopher. So with these parables, for instance, Jesus would say, you want to know what God is like? You want to know what kingdom of God is like? The kingdom of God, let's see here. Oh, it's like, it's like a mustard seed. It's like, huh? Or, okay, okay, I'm sorry. The kingdom of God isn't like just a mustard. The kingdom of God is like a woman baking this massive amount of bread. Let me tell you about it. He was a metaphorical theologian. He'd, he'd find these ways to make a point using stories. And that was common in Middle Eastern culture. It's still common in, in a lot of cultures more than, more than ours. So here in Luke 14, the primary metaphor he's going to use is a banquet. He says the kingdom of God is like this banquet. Okay? 
Keep that in mind. So we're going to start in verse 15 and read through, and then we'll make some comments. He says, when, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at that feast in the kingdom of God. We'll come back to that in a moment. That's like a really weird start. It's like, huh? We'll come back to that. Verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man. That's, that's how you know Jesus is about to tell a story. There was once this guy. Okay, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it, so please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported all this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, then go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. There's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be, what does it say? Full. So that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited, the first group, will get a taste of my banquet. So, like I mentioned, the the first verse, verse 15 is kind of random. It's like, what's going on there? Uh, remember, they're, they're all sitting around this meal, Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus just healed a man, which they're in a disagreement with. They don't believe he should have done. They're angry about that. And then it's just kind of random. Someone yells out, uh, blessed is the one who eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. It's like, huh? This is the point in the party where you're like, Uncle Joe has had a bit too much and maybe we ought to switch to the decaf, Right? Um, what, what is this all about? He's actually, he's talking about something that he's trying, this is again, remember, the Pharisees are setting a trap. They're trying to draw Jesus into this, I don't know, conversation might be a little bit too nice of a way to put it, uh, into a debate about the kingdom of God and the nature of the kingdom of God. So 700 years before this, the prophet Isaiah was also talking about the kingdom of God and what it would be like. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, the, the easiest way to think about that is the kingdom of God is where God reigns. It's where God is king. And, and it's, you know, Isaiah is talking about the future kingdom that, like, because you and I live in a world right now where God isn't king. Like, he might be the king of our hearts. He might be the king of our church and the king of us as individuals, but he doesn't have his way fully in this world, right? Um, that, that day is, is coming a long time from now or maybe tomorrow. We don't know. Could be today. And Isaiah, 700 years before this, is talking about what the kingdom of God is like. What is, what is it going to be like when God is fully in charge and he can make this world the way that he always wanted it to be? And so here's what Isaiah says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. 
On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all of the earth. The Lord has spoken. So in this future kingdom, it was often talked about like this. It was talked about as a banquet, as a dinner party. And this is a party for the ages. This is an awesome party because God is the host and God is the king. And when God is the king, there is peace and there is joy and there, there is fulfillment and satisfaction and all of the things, right, that, that our hearts uh, yearn for. In fact, Isaiah says that in the kingdom, there isn't any crying. Would you like to live in that world? Revelation 21 says that in the kingdom, in that day, God himself will wipe away every tear and there's not gonna be any more pain or death, sorrow. Cancer's not invited. I'm ready for that, right? Come Lord Jesus, tomorrow. Not today, I got a few things I need to get done first, but no, I'm just kidding. Today, whatever. If there's ever a reason to throw a party, I think it's for that. Like, it should be a banquet if that's the king, kingdom that we get to experience. So this guy shouts out, blessed is the one who gets to go to that. There's just a problem, a big problem. Most of the people sitting around the table with Jesus that day really believed that they were the only ones on the guest list. That only certain kinds of people got in the kingdom. That it was only made up of, of law-following, pious, super-religious Jews. And everybody else was out. In fact, there's another story that's not in our Bible for good reason. Where a similar banquet is happening. Except, and, it, and there's lots of people from all over the world at this table the difference is that in the middle of the feast, an angel of death shows up and slaughters all of the non-Jews. Yeah. That's why it's not in our Bible. That's how they saw the kingdom. The kingdom belonged to them. And people like them. Isaiah, though, that's not what it said. If you, that we just read, Isaiah is pretty clear that this is a kingdom that, that, and Jesus is siding with Isaiah that it's a kingdom for, for all people. God is preparing a feast for all peoples, all nations. So then in Luke 14, Jesus tells them this, this parable. It says the man is, is having a banquet and he invites many guests. That's the word it uses, many guests. It's a long guest list, right? Just a long list of people who are invited. But then after those people get the invitation, they all refuse to come. And that makes the host angry. It's like a slap in the face, you know? Like I've prepared all this and they don't want to come. So then he sends the host out and he says, bring me those people, those people that no one around this table and sitting with Jesus would really want at the, as their guest. He says, bring me the poor. Bring me the lame. Bring me, bring me the disabled. Bring me the disadvantaged. Bring me the ones who've been taken advantage of. Bring, bring me those people. 
they're the next on the guest list. Jesus is trying to prove a point. He's trying to remind these people the, the beauty of the original vision of the kingdom of God. And even those people, after they take them up on it, the, the servant comes back and he says, hey, master, there's still more room. Like we haven't filled all the seats. And he says, okay, I want you to go out into the, into the countryside. This is not, uh, the, I read from the NIV translation. This is the MCV, the Mike Klein version. He says, I, I want you to go out to like, like past Marion, like, who did I just offend? Anybody? What other town should I use? Like, where's Robin Shelley? I want to go to Gates. Yeah. I want you to go out to Gates. Because them people need Jesus, you know. I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Haven't preached in a while, sorry. <clears throat> Glad this is getting recorded. Yeah. But go out, go out to just the furthest places you can imagine. And I want you, I want you to invite them. Right? I want you to bring them in. Not, not just Jews, not just people from right here who look like, send out the invitation because there's still room. Okay, this parable is not about a banquet. This parable is about the nature and character of our God. Jesus says, God's throwing a party and everyone's invited. Right? Everyone's invited. Even people who don't look like you or think like you or the people who are as moral as you, the people who disagree on certain interpretations of the law, that person that votes differently than you, like, they're on the guest list. Everyone, it's the same invitation, and the deepest desire of his heart is that we would accept it, that we would come, that we would show up to the party. He tells his servants in verse 23 to compel the people to come. Now, that, that doesn't mean to force them because that wouldn't make any sense because the first group rejected the invitation and said they were too busy, and, right? So compel can't mean to force them. It's just to tell you that, that the deepest desire of God's heart is that he wants a full house. He just, he just really, 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 really wants you there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse three says, this is good and pleases God, our savior, who wants everyone to be saved. Who does he want to be saved? Everybody. And come to the knowledge of the truth. So everyone's invited. You're invited. Those of you watching online, you're invited. Your neighbor's invited. That person you don't really like that much is invited. Don't look at him. That's weird. Look at me. I saw that back there. They're invited too. You know who I'm talking, you got someone in your life who you're like, I love them and Jesus loves them and actually I don't, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to, right? They're invited, like their name's on the guest list. But some people choose not to come, why? Why is it that some people, like these guys in the parable, choose to not accept the invitation and take a seat at the table that's been prepared for them? Okay, I just wanna spend the last 15, 20 minutes talking about that. The first reason is distractions. We're, we're distracted by other things in our lives. Right? The first group in the parable that doesn't make it, that turns down the invitation, it's, they just got a lot going on, you know? It's just busy, just, just things to do, lots of stuff. And 
when you read it, I don't know, in my eyes, I'm like, some of those seem pretty legit. Uh, we got some new land we just purchased. We need to go look at that. There's an animal, five yoke of oxen. There's some animals that need to be taken care of. Uh, the one guy's like, I just got married. I mean, that seems like a pretty good reason. I would call those valid reasons for why you may not come, right? Are you with me? What does Jesus call them? Excuses. It's his word. Don't get mad at me. Verse 18, Jesus looks at the things that I go, those are kind of legit reasons. He goes, no, those are excuses. And then the more you start to think about it, the the more I can kind of understand it, right? Because like the first guy, I mean, how many times have you bought a piece of land that you've never looked at yet? It's kind of weird. Like what's going on there? The I just got married, bro. Um, I'm just assuming it's a guy. I don't know. But guys, can, let's <laughs> So when there's like a dinner party invitation, who's the one that's more likely to not want to go? not your wife like because wives hate getting dressed up and looking nice and eating good food right when there's a social engagement that requires me to like I don't know hang out with people and talk and stuff it's usually not my wife who's like oh I don't think we can make it he's like oh I just got married you know and I'm like I'm pretty sure she'd want to go have you asked her she's got her own invitation You're responsible for yours. You're not responsible for somebody else's invitation. You're responsible for your invitation. Again, Ken Bailey, the the Middle Eastern eyes guy, he he says in our American context, this parable would be like if you and I had a a dinner party together with some good friends and we were sitting down and the warm meal is rolled out right in front of us. And before you cut in and start taking your first bite, someone would stand up and say, "Uh, I gotta go mow my lawn. It's like, what? Right, or... um, you know, I forgot to feed the cat. Or uh, there's a bill on my desk that I haven't paid yet. And I just, it just popped in my, and I got to go take care of it before I forget about it, you know? Like these are, these are excuses. And everybody listening would have seen them as such. So the truth is the people who were invited had more important things to do. And they had other tables that they wished to sit at. And so they turned down the invitation. And don't miss this, that made the host angry. Like in Middle Eastern culture, like much cultures in the world, even in our culture, to like kind of snub your nose at me and like turn down free dinner or whatever, it's kind of an insult. In that culture, even more so, to to reject the hospitality of someone was seen as you basically just saying that you didn't want to have any kind of relationship with them. Have you ever noticed um, in our culture, no one RSVPs anymore? Have you, have you tried to do this lately? Hosted a wedding or something and gotten frustrated because no one's like actually sending the card back or, or whatever. And I, there's probably lots of reasons for that. I think we're just a more informal culture in general. And that feels kind of, you know, very structured and formal and, you know, whatever. I think part of it, though, is we want to keep our options open, Right? If I fill out that card and tell you, oh, it's going to be me plus one and my kids or whatever, I'm locked in. 
Because I know you've got to take those numbers to the caterer or whatever it is, or you only probably have a certain number of seats available or, or around the table. And so to RSVP is to make a commitment. What I'd really love for you to do is to send me an RSVP card that gave me a maybe option. Right? Or maybe there's a box I could check that says, I'm interested. <laughs> you see that on all these Facebook events and stuff? It's like 1,022 people interested, three going. That's like, because I want to know about it. I want to get any updates in case, you know, I can make it work or whatever. I, I might go if nothing else better comes along that I'd rather do. You're laughing because it's kind of true. I mean, this is the world that we're living in, right? And I wonder how many of us have done that with God's invitation. It's like, I really appreciate you thinking about me, God, and inviting me. Please keep inviting me, you know? You ever have that too? Like you tell your friends, like you've told them no to coffee 17 times, but you're like, don't, don't forget about me, you know? Like we appreciate, we're interested, but we're not committed. It's like we're keeping our options open in case something better comes along. Maybe it's, we're distracted. We're distracted by the cares of the world, by things that you and I call reasons that Jesus calls excuses. So the first is, the first is distractions. Number two is disobedience. Disobedience. There's Oftentimes, we don't accept the invitation because we don't want to. We want to do what we want to do. Um, a few years ago now, I think Addison was four. So it's about four years now. I'm in the kitchen. I'm, I'm prepping dinner, making something really gourmet like Kraft mac and cheese probably or something, you know. <laughs> and yeah, you know, living high. Uh, and my kids need my attention. It's one of those days where they cannot entertain themselves for more than like 22 seconds. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's cool, fine, you know, whatever. And I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm gonna burn your mac and cheese, you know? And so I'm trying to figure this out. And I could not give my daughter the attention that she needed. And so she found a way to get it. I'm standing there. And suddenly I hear what sounds like a ton of tiny pebbles rolling across my hardwood floor. I'm like, that's not a good sound. Stir, stir. <laughs> and I turn around, and my daughter, I think she's four. She has my favorite hat. Man, you know you've got that one hat that just it fits perfect. You like it. Thank you. Yes, that one. She's got my favorite hat. She's using it to scoop out dog food. She's got the biggest scoop that you can imagine, and she's just dumping it on the floor like this right? And I am just like seeing red. Like, I'm like, you're making a mess. I'm going to have to clean it up. I'm trying to make dinner. Now my hat smells like Purina or whatever. Like, I'm just like, so I go over and I grab her and I put her down and, you know, because gentle parenting and I yell at her because I failed at that book. And I said, I said, what are you doing? That was a bad choice. Because she's not bad. She made a bad choice. I did read that part of the book. <laughs> that was a bad choice. She looks at me and she says, no, daddy, it was a fun choice. 
no lie. <laughs> I was like, now you're laughing. I was not laughing. I was like, I cannot. So I repeated it. No, it's a bad joke. She says, no, it was a fun joke. Like she was adamant she was right. Can we be honest at church this morning and just admit that sometimes sin is fun? Like if sin wasn't fun, no one would ever do it. I grew up in church my whole life. Youth group, all the things. And it was like, don't say it, it's terrible, it's awful. And I'm like, I don't know, when I do it, it's kind of a blast. I don't, I'm not sure what the youth pastor's talking about. It's kind of fun. Until it isn't. Until it catches up with you. Until your disobedience meets a little thing called consequences. I think sometimes we decline God's invitation because we're convinced that living life our way is more fun. Like it's, if I become a follower of Jesus and I make him the king and I'm sitting at his table, that life will be less exciting. I could find better meals other places. I think that's the way that we think. So I don't want you to miss this. Jesus tells a story about what, what it's like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. And what metaphor does he choose? A party. A banquet. With really, really good food. And fine wine. Like this is not like, hey, come to the table. There's some hamburger helper and sparkling water that that we all know doesn't taste that good, but we keep pretending it's yummy <laughs> because it's healthier. No, it's like, hey, come to my table. There is a filet mignon here with your name on it with, with the garlicky butter stuff all going off the side and fingerling potatoes and, mash, and asparagus and, and, and like wine from the top shelf. And that is the banquet God is not holding out on us. It's not like, man, I, I have to say this because I, I mean, I actually grew up in a pretty good church, but some of us grew up in churches and in cultures maybe where um, church was like, frowning was a mark of holiness. You know? Like the grumpier you were, the closer you must be to Jesus. Don't raise your hand or like look at anybody, but it's like, like, were they trying to make everyone fall asleep? That was so boring, right? I have my son, by the way, who's a pastor's kid, growing up in church. I'll have kids tell me that our church is boring. I'm like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> you really have no idea. Right? When you think of the kingdom, what do you imagine? Do you imagine like a church service that never ends with songs that you don't like and grumpy people next to you you're not sure you want to spend eternity with? I, I just, the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is a feast. It's a party. We worship the God who made the weekend. Saturday and Sunday was his idea. Um, if being a Christian feels miserable, I think you're doing it wrong. Right? I'm not saying life's always perfect and that there aren't hard things and it's okay to be sad and angry and grumpy and, and frustrated and disappointed, like all of that. You don't have to smile through life and act like everything's okay. That's not true. But this is why I'm never gonna apologize for having a little fun in church because the kingdom of God that I belong to is a kingdom of joy. And 
Someone asked me last week, they're like, why are we, you know, why are we having the, um, the bull riding thing happening at the park next week? And I'm like, because that's why people tie. They want to ride bulls at church. No, that's not why. That's not why. It's, it's because we're throwing a party. Like 23 plus people are going public with their faith in Jesus. Like we're going to have a good time. We're going to eat good food. We're going to sing. We're going to shout. We're going to clap. Because all of heaven does when one person repents. So if being a Christian feels miserable, I just, I think you're missing something. And you're invited, okay? If, when you choose to live under God's reign, I think you'll realize that not only was he never holding out on you, but maybe you didn't even really know what fun was. I think there's a joy and a fun that you've never experienced until you're living under God's rule. The last thing I think that causes a lot of us to, to decline are, is just doubts, right? Doubts. We have questions that we can't figure out. Um, I've talked a lot about this. We, we did a whole series this year, right, where we went right at some of the major questions people have about Christianity. And, and, but I'm very sympathetic to this. I'm wired this way. I, I would say there's two kinds of doubts, though. The first kind would be intellectual doubt, which is typically what we think of when we hear doubt. Like, I have this intellectual question about the Bible or about God's nature or the problem of evil or, or this Bible verse and I just can't, I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't want to do with it. Um, someone said to me, I just, I want to be baptized, but I'm not certain. That's the word that they use, but I'm just not certain about fill in the blank. And I think they were surprised. I go, man, there's a lot of stuff I'm not certain about. They were like, what? They let you pastor this place? I'm like, I know, I'm shocked. <laughs> There's a lot, man. I have, I have so many questions. There's Bible verses I read. I just go, huh, I don't know what to do with that. I, like, the central question of Christianity is not a lot of those things. It's who is Jesus? And what has he done? Who is he? And, and what has he done for you in, in this world? Who does he claim to be? Do you believe that or not? And like, despite all of your intellectual doubts, if you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and you believe that he did what the Bible says he did and that that accomplished what the Bible says it accomplished, then you're ready to accept the invitation and take a seat at the table. And all that other stuff we can work on and figure out, maybe, like as we go, maybe not. Are you okay to have a little bit of doubt in your life? The second level of doubt, though, is emotional. And I actually think this is the bigger one. Um, I think most of our questions and doubts aren't necessarily intellectual. It's experiential. It's something that's happened in our lives that we can't make sense of. Or it's an experience that someone did to us, maybe even in the name of God. And so that's just created this haze of doubt um, I was talking with someone the other day that said, uh, I, I would be a Christian, but I don't feel like I could ever live up to what Jesus says. And so rather than be a hypocrite, I would just choose to be a heathen. That was their words. I'd rather just be a heathen than be like one of those people who say one thing and do, do another. And I mean, I, I kind of get that, except to that person, Jesus says, hey, your name is on the guest list. Come, 
No one got invited to the party because they did all the right stuff. That's, that's nowhere in the story, right? None of us are invited because we're worthy. We're invited because the master is so generous. Your name didn't get on the guest list because you did everything right or because God knows you'll do everything right. Your name is on the guest list because God created you and loves you and has a seat at the table for you. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to get yourself all spiffy to come. You, you just have to take a seat. And then God takes it from there, right? Then God's spirit comes into our life. He begins to change us and put his finger on certain things. And he begins to work in our life. And next thing you know, we become the person that we never thought we could become. And it's actually the person that God has always seen, that he's created us to be. So next week, we're, we're gonna have that party. Like I said, 23 baptisms. I thought this morning it would, be, it would only be appropriate though to, with this parable to an extend an invitation in case there's someone here this morning that goes, you know what, I've, I've never really taken my seat at that table. I've never had a moment, whether privately or publicly, where I've said, you know what, I, I wanna invite Jesus into my life. I want that. I, I need his forgiveness. I, I need his Holy Spirit to come in and change me and I want to accept the invitation that he has created for me. So we just, let's just take a minute and close our eyes, bow our heads. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you move? Romans 5.8 says that while we were sinners, so like while we were doing our own thing, while we were, were in rebellion against God, while we were distracted with all the cares of the world, while we were sinners, God showed his love to us by sending his son to die. That was the price of the invitation. The price to get your name on the guest list was Jesus' own blood. But there's a seat at the table for you. Right? Your presence is desired, but it's not demanded. Hear that. It's desired, but it's not demanded. This isn't a trick. This isn't manipulation. And we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we haven't done it, why we haven't made the choice. Maybe when I'm older, maybe when I understand more, maybe when I've gone to church longer, all those kinds of things. I just want you to hear the words of the master again. Verse 17, it says, he sent his servant to tell all those who hadn't been invited, come for everything is now ready. Right now, it's now ready. Today is the day. So if you're here this morning, you wanna invite Jesus into your life, you want to let him become the leader? He's the king from this point on in your life. That's what it means to make him Lord. And you want to take a seat at the table? Will you just slip your hand up for a minute? I want to just pray for you. We had someone in the first service, and maybe there's someone here. If you're watching online, type something in the chat. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you. I see that. It doesn't have to be high. That's fine. Thank you. Anybody else? Yep. Yep. Heavenly Father, thank you for the courage of those who've responded this morning. Thank you for your spirit moving and speaking. Thank you for giving me a front row seat to your table and to get to watch you lay out the spread for everybody else. What an honor, what a privilege. God, thank you for those that raised their hand this morning in the first service and this service. I, I don't know exactly where they're at. I, I, don't, I don't know what they've ever 
proclaimed your, their faith in you before, but for some of them, Lord, this is, this is the moment where, as your word says, that they cross from death to life. They pull up a seat to your table of life and eat of your goodness, and they begin a journey. This is the first step. It's not the end, but this is a journey, Lord, that they've started on of learning what it means to live under your reign. I pray that you continue to speak and move in their hearts. Help us to help them take those next steps and what that might look like, whether that is, you know, baptism even as soon as next week or um, getting into a discipleship course this fall or a group, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would help us to connect and make those steps. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for putting us on the guest list. We couldn't write our own name on there. You did it for us. Help us to be the kind of people and the kind of church that's always looking to pull one more chair up to the table and fill in it because you want a full house. That's your greatest desire. We pray this in your name. Amen.